Amen. Well, providentially, uh, our group, our class, we've been going through the book of John, and we are in lesson uh, 40. Uh, today, we're in John chapter 20. I'm going to go back to where we were as a group. And I said providentially, now that it's Easter, chapter 20 happens to be uh, an Easter message. So I want us to look at John chapter 20, and, uh, and I want to ask you to do something maybe a little complicated. If you have a Bible with you, in front of you, uh, and if you're able to unmute your button, I would like to get a little help in reading. This is a fairly lengthy text. And uh, so if you would, if I could call on you to read, if you have a Bible, I see Melanie has a Bible. Uh, Melanie, would you read the first 10 verses? You're already unmuted. And then yes. Jeff, if you'll read 11 through 20. And then uh, if I could get you, uh, Dan, do you have a Bible in front of you? Yes. If you could read uh, 20 through 30, the rest of the text, then we'll all participate with this. Uh, Melanie, if you'll read the first 10 verses, and we'll get through this text, and we'll, we'll look at this. And the title of today's lesson is going to be Seven New Truths uh, Post-Resurrection Sunday. Seven New Truths Post-Resurrection Sunday. So if uh, you could go ahead and start reading, Melanie, and we'll, we'll commence. Now, on the day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth on which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one on the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, Teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. 
So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again, again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the door being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here, and look at my hands, and reach your hand here, and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Tom, Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those that have not seen me, yet they believe. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Appreciate you guys reading that for us. I want to look at these truths. I've called it seven new truths. There's probably eight or nine. Actually, I'd identify, I think, ten, but just for a nice symmetry of to go along with the seven I am's and to go along with the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross and go go along with some other uh, sevens as we talked about that perfect number in classes past. I, I, I did just identify seven. And so the first one I'm looking at, I, I will have these notes for you the next time we meet. I know a lot of you guys keep these notes in a, in a nice notebook form with your hole punches, and I'll bring these to you next time I see you. But uh, the first truth I see uh, here, is, the first new truth is that there is a new day to worship. A new day to worship. It says in verse 1, the first day of the week. It says in verse 19, the same day, the first day of the week. Uh, from the days of creation, when God created the heavens and the earth, it tells us in Genesis chapter 2 that uh, in six days the Lord created the earth, and on the seventh day he rested from his work. And so, and so uh, we do have a pattern from the very beginnings that there is a day of rest, uh, in the Sinai Covenant, on the uh, Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments, the Fourth Commandment, in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 and 11, says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And so that word Sabbath in Hebrew is Shabbat. And that word literally means to cease. And so from from the beginning of beginnings, when, when, when uh, God created the heavens and the earth, it always ordained the day of rest. And that day of rest was uh, is a creative work, and it was commanded on Mount Sinai. It became a sign of the uh, commandments. It became a sign to the nation of Israel, the covenant that God had made with them. 
uh, day of rest. But always, as always, the Old Testament is is a points to and is a type of and is always shadows something um, that is more to us and it always points to Jesus Christ. So if you'll if you'll turn with me to uh, Hebrews chapter four, I think would give us the most detailed understanding of this. Uh, this is a new day of worship. In the past, the Jews had always worshipped on Saturday, the last day of the week. Now, upon Jesus' resurrection, we, the body, the new church, the church of Christ, we're going to worship on the first day of the week as we remember the resurrection of Jesus. The nation of Israel always pointed to future tense, but we look back, and so we look back to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that's why we come together and worship on Sunday morning. So if you'll turn with me to Hebrews 4, a few verses here, uh, Hebrews 4, 1 through 11. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to come short in it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard didn't profit them not being mixed with faith. That's, of course, alluding to the nation of Israel who did not believe, they could not enter into the promised land because of unbelief, in whom, when they heard it, for we who have believed do enter the rest, as he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from his works, and again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, there remains that some must enter it, and to those to whom it was first preached did not enter in because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, today, after such a long time as it has been said, today if you will harden, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, for if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have afterward have spoken of another day. Therefore remains a day of rest to the people of God, for he who has entered his rest has himself ceased from his works as God did from his. So we see in this text uh, this changing from a day of worship from the Sabbath, Saturday to Sunday. As we look forward to the day, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we look forward to the day when we will enter into the final rest that eternal state where we're going to have new bodies. We're not going to struggle anymore with our sin natures. We're not going to struggle anymore with the infirmities of the world, the struggles of the world, and we will be at peace and final rest with our Lord and Savior for eternity. So we we celebrate the uh, Sunday on the first day of the week as we look forward to that final day of rest that we will enter into because of belief of what Christ has done for us on the cross. And so we tell, we're told in Scripture, if you look at Acts verse 20, verse 17, the, the early church, the beginnings of uh, after Pentecost came, after the Holy Spirit came, and the, and, the, and, the, and the Lord started establishing his church, his corporate body on earth, we see them that they meet on the first day of the week. Acts 20, verse 7, it tells us, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. What a sermon, huh? Considered the message until midnight. We also see uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, 
1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, another verse that instructs us uh, about corporate worship on the first day of the week, uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 2, uh, we see the, uh, the verse say, on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there will be no collection when I come. So Paul is setting the parameters for worship, and that includes tithing and giving as the church prepares uh, to worship. So we see because of the resurrection of Christ, we have a new day to worship. So your Seventh-day Adventist friends, I have a next-door neighbor who's a Seventh-day Adventist. Uh, he goes to worship on Saturday. I, of course, go today. And uh, I'm able to explain to him why we worship on Sunday and why we do not worship on Saturday as well as our Jewish friends. So uh, we worship on Sunday because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we look forward to his work. And you can read about that in Colossians 2, 16 and 17, that, that Christ, of course, is the subject matter of, of uh, he's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's created the Sabbath for men. And so we worship on on a Sunday morning. Uh, second thing I want us to see about this new truth that is a, a post-resurrection effect uh, is that we have a new ability now to understand the scripture. Uh, if you look at verse eight and nine, uh, we see a we see a track meet going on. We see the apostle John and we see Peter racing. And if you're ever asked a trivia question, who's the fastest apostle? You can say, well, John is faster than Peter. They had a little race, both enthusiastic. They raced to the tomb when, when, uh, when Mary had told them, uh, that uh, Jesus was not there. He'd risen and they ran to the tomb and John, the apostle got there faster. And, uh, so we see when they get to the tomb, verse eight, then the other disciple who came to the tomb first, that's John, uh, the apostle. That's how he identifies himself in the book. Uh, he looked into the tomb, and he believed. And then it says in verse 9, for as yet they did not know the scripture. Uh, it's an amazing thing to me as you see the ministry of Jesus in his three years with his disciples that uh, many, many times he had told the disciples that uh, he was going, he came to die, he came to die on a cross, and he, and he would rise again after three days. And he, he told them multiple times, uh, through the lap, through the three and a half years that he ministered to them, and and the disciples were hard of hearing. He 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 often would admonish them, but they were slow to believe, and they were uh, hard to understand. He they couldn't understand him, and and so John is just telling us he believed when he saw the empty tomb, but he didn't yet understand the scripture. Of course, that's talking about the the many times that Jesus himself had mentioned to them that he was going to. Uh, uh, die and be resurrected uh, from the dead, but it also refers to Old Testament texts, which they would have been familiar with as as uh, Jews. They had been taught this uh, from early on uh, when they were bar mitzvah and when they went to the synagogue. Uh, they they obviously had read this before, but I think most particular they were talking about the messianic uh, psalm in Psalm 16 verse 10, where we see a pretty emphatic indication. Uh, that Jesus would be raised from the dead. And as a matter of fact, it tells us in 1610, it says, You will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. That was a reference to the resurrection of Christ. He wouldn't uh, 
that he wouldn't uh, stay in the grave long, but he would be raised. So, so when it says they didn't yet know the scripture, uh, we can't berate them. We can't say, I can't believe they didn't understand the scripture. It's because spiritual things, the scripture has to be uh, discerned by the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit uh, must give us the ability to understand scripture. If we do not, uh, if the Holy Spirit is not indwelling us and filling us, the Spirit is the one who he, he interprets scripture. He brings the scripture to our mind. He gives us the ability to understand scripture. And so we, we have to be easy on these disciples because they were dull of hearing. So would we be if not the Holy Spirit regenerating our hearts, if not the Holy Spirit producing faith within us and giving us this ability to spiritually discern spiritual things. Uh, Paul tells us, if you want to look with me, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, uh, that uh, basically what I just said, the disciples could not understand. They were dull of hearing because these things have to be spiritually discerned. If you look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, we'll start in verse 6. Paul speaking to the church at Corinth. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden mystery which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For if they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But it's written, eye is not seen nor ear heard, nor is entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. So uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, 50 days later, we see Pentecost. We see the coming of the Holy Spirit. And it is the spirit which gives us the ability to understand the scripture. It is the spirit which is promised by God. Remember in the upper room discourse uh, that we have spent so much time on in 13, 14, 15, 16 of John, uh, Jesus promised the disciples, he said in verse 26, chapter 14, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And so he has promised the spirit would come. And then in chapter 16, verse 12, he says, I have many things to say to you, but you can't understand them now. You can't bear them now. He said, but when the Spirit comes, he's going to reveal this truth to you. So when it says they didn't know the Scripture, uh, neither would we if it weren't for the Spirit. So that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, a new truth that bring to us is that we are now able to understand the Scripture and we're able to be saved because we can understand our depravity, our need for a Savior. We're understanding his work on the cross for us as he reconciles us to himself. So uh, the, the resurrection truth today brings us a new day of worship, and it brings us a new ability to understand Scripture. Thirdly, if you're writing these things down, uh, I think that uh, the third new truth I see is that uh, the, the, the resurrection of Christ brings us a new approach to Christ. And I'm talking the physical versus the spiritual. 
And I want you to, I want to refer to you to verse 17. Uh, Mary Magdalene has come to the tomb. Uh, she sees two angels at the tomb, one at the foot and one at the head where Jesus had lain. Uh, they ask her, who are you seeking? They ask him, uh, you know, uh, why are you weeping? You know, she says, they've taken away my Lord. And then she sees the Lord himself. And her first response is, uh, Rabboni, which is teacher. And she falls at his feet and she, and she grabs a hold of it. Uh, the best Greek translation that I've seen, Terry may correct me, but is do not cling to me. Some verses may say, do not touch me. But Jesus' response to, uh, uh, to Mary Magdalene may seem a bit strange to us. Uh, but she automatically holds on to him. She grabs him. And Jesus says, don't cling to me. Now, Jesus is not being uh, difficult. He's not, uh, he's not prohibiting touching him with his glorified body. As we see, as Dan read in verse 27, when he was talking to Doubting Thomas, he said, touch me in my nail print hands and touch my side. So he's not prohibiting touching, as it were, his glorified body, but I think what, what, what this really means, and, and I'm going to read what MacArthur says, uh, what he says, uh, Mary wanted to hold on to his physical presence for fear that she would lose him again. She wanted to, to reinstate the former relationship. Uh, but Jesus' resurrection instituted a new state of being and a new sphere of living. And what we're seeing is now it's not going to be physical but it's going to be spiritual, and it's going to point to us. We are going to have to apprehend Christ by faith and not by sight. And he is he's telling Mary, he's preparing Mary for the new reality that I am risen and I am about to return to my Father in heaven. So this closeness, this physical proximity, First uh, John tells us that we've handled the Lord, we've touched the Lord, We've eaten with the Lord. We've wept with the Lord. We've worshiped with the Lord. And so Jesus is telling Mary there's going to be a new uh, paradigm. No longer are you going to see me physically and be able to touch me physically, but you're going to have to apprehend me by faith and not by sight. It's going to be the evidence now to us as the church comes along. We look back and we've not seen Christ, but we love it. And so Jesus is... uh, 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 statement to Mary is not a prohibition against touching a glorified body, thankfully. Uh, I look forward to, to, uh, to holding my Savior one day in glory. But, uh, but it is a, it's a warning to us that there's a new paradigm that we're going to have to approach and apprehend Christ by faith. Uh, uh, we haven't seen him, we love him, and we believe him, we trust him through this, through this work of the Spirit in us that we can believe whom we haven't seen, and we can have a hope and a security and a surety that we serve a risen Savior. So I think uh, what we see here is uh, just a new approach to Christ. It's not a physical approach anymore to the disciples and certainly not to us, but it is apprehended by faith, and it is, of course, uh, now it has become spiritual, and I think that's a new truth that we can see uh, as we look at this. Anybody have any comments or questions about any of these three points? Feel free to unmute your button and and talk if you'd like before I move to point four. Anything you'd like to ask about that?
any comments or questions? Uh, yes, Dan. I have to push a button. No, you're okay. Go ahead. Uh, you know, when we look at being able to read the Bible and understand it fully, it's interesting that when I would read the Bible as a, as a young person, because I promised God that if he'd let me graduate from college, I'd read the Bible from cover to cover. Didn't understand any of it. I just read it as an obligation. As compared to the way I read it today, where I can understand all of those mysteries that I didn't used to, I couldn't figure it out. And it's just the, the difference in having the spirit in you when you're reading this and studying it and not having it in there. You can kind of understand some people, I think, who say they really can't understand the Bible. Well, there's a reason for that, usually. They and can't. That's right, they can't. And when you've got the Spirit, it's it's just so different. It's just unbelievable. He must be, he, he must be the one to, to cause us to understand the Word. Anybody else? Thank you for that good comment. Anybody else? Are you trying to respond, Miss Sheila? <laughs> okay. There we go. Okay. Um, there's a there's a man that we know. I mean, this is just an example. There's a man that Rusty and I know that uh, is a profound atheist. I mean, he he practices. He's involved in all sorts of organizations for atheism and uh, leads them even. Mm-hmm. And he reads the Bible from cover to cover every year and sometimes multiple times a year. And the thing is, he reads the Bible and he knows what it says, but he has no understanding or comprehension of it, you know. And that's very sad to me, you know, because his accounting is going to be so high because he obviously has it there available, but um, his eyes just are not opened. His heart is not open spiritually to the truth. Excellent. Good comment. Anybody else have any other comments? Let me add. Let me add to that. We we see an account with uh, Christ or Jesus and uh, Nicodemus, who is a teacher of Israel, the top scholar of the Jews, mm-hmm. and what he was dumbfounded by what Jesus Christ was saying, and he knows the scripture, but. You know, their their eyes are not open, their hearts not changed, and the spirit doesn't live within them. And we we know that Nicodemus at some point in time may have become a believer, um, but at at first he was astonished, and but he didn't understand. And so and he had the Old Testament, and scripture. he had all the knowledge of the Old Testament scripture, sure. but inside now, sure. so sometimes we are not going to understand or can't understand. Of course, without the Holy Spirit, we can't understand at all, but some mysteries are still yet unseen and we don't understand. It's unexplainable and we can't put words to it, but that's it. Excellent. Good point. Uh, Let's go to point number four. If anybody had any other contributions, uh, feel free to to raise a hand or unmute yourself. But uh, point number four, and I smile when I say this. Uh, we have a new relationship with Jesus Christ. And uh, look at verse 17 again. I, I looked at 17a. Uh, look what Jesus said after he said to Mary, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brothers. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father 
and to your Father, and to my God and your Father. God, Jesus Christ, calls us his brothers. Now, previously in Scripture, uh, we are called many things. We are called, but as believers, we're called servants. In, in Romans, and in James, and Jude, and Philemon, and Philippians, and Titus, uh, the book opens with a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Uh, that word bondservant is a... Uh, is the real word is slave. And so Jesus says, you are slaves. Paul said, I'm a slave to Christ. I am not my own. I'm bought with the precious blood of Christ. I have no rights, but I am a, I am a willing a servant and a slave of Jesus Christ. So we are called servants or slaves in the Old Testament. And then Jesus calls the disciples, he calls them friends. And we see that in John uh, 12, 26, in this uh, upper room discourse, uh, as it's about to begin, uh, Jesus calls them uh, uh, friends. Uh, actually, I think we're going to be in chapter 13, uh, uh, verse uh, 26. We see... Well, I'm just completely off on all my references. Believe me when, <laughs> believe me when I say he calls them friends. And I believe it. Let's see, where is that? Somebody help me with this. Where does it say, I call you friends? And it is somewhere in the, uh, all of it in the uh, upper room discourse. Uh, 1514, Don. Pardon me? 1514. 1514. I was, I was off a couple of chapters. Terrible. Thank you, Pastor. Why we pay you the big money? He says, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. So Jesus goes from servants, calling us servants, to calling us friends. And now he calls us brethren. As Terry said so eloquently in, uh, in the, uh, sermon on uh, Friday night for Good Friday, there's a great distance between my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. As Jesus was forsaken by his Father, he was, he had the infinite wrath of a holy God poured on him as he absorbed, uh, the condemnation of our sins on his innocent self. And he was separated for the first time from eternity past and for the first and the only time separated temporarily from his Father. And then we see the restoration of the relationship when he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit as, as, as the Father accepted the sacrifice. That acceptance of the sacrifice, as Terry said better, is a, is a, we are reconciled to the Father. And now our Father, uh, is Jesus' Father and we are now adopted sons and there's a new relationship. We are we are more intimate than ever before. We're no longer just slaves and servants. We're no longer friends, although we still are. Now we are brothers, and we have the adoption, and we are brothers and sisters in Christ. As, as one commentator says, uh, we have a new hope. We have a new divine life. We have a new nature. We're new creations. We are adopted children. And I believe I took this from Terry's notes in, our, in, in Romans. Uh, I, I'm not so sure. I'm assuming it's Terry, but 
he said or someone said, all attachments to the old family are gone. All of our debts, all of our obligations, all our past associations are wiped out. We now have a new nature, a new name. We have new desires, and we have new abilities. We're joint heirs with Christ, and we're adopted children. And because we're now adopted children, we can cry out, Daddy. We can cry out, Abba. So we have a new relationship with Christ. We move from we move from aliens and strangers and reprobates and members of the household of Satan. He moves us into his glorious family where we're slaves and servants and then friends. And now we can call each other we're brothers. Christ is our brother. Father is our is our uh, is our heavenly Father. And so we are part of a new family. We have a new dynamic. Uh, we have a new relationship uh, with Christ. And that is found, of course, in many texts. Uh, I guess the, the proof text uh, would be found in Romans chapter 8, uh, verses uh, 15 through 17. If you'll just let me read that real quick as we celebrate this Easter celebration. We have a new relationship. Romans 8, 15 through 17 well, we didn't receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit bears witness with our spirit. We are God's children. And if we are children, we're heirs. We're heirs of God. We're joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified together. So because of the resurrection, we have a new relationship. It is more intimate. It is more, it is more, uh, it is more pervasive in us, and it is a reminder that Christ has given us a new relationship. We are now brothers, and we move from lost to saved in an intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father. And if that, don't, if that doesn't result in a hallelujah in your heart, I don't know what else to tell you. He's risen, and we are brothers and sisters in Christ because of the work of our Savior and so we see we have a new relationship with Christ. Fifthly, and I smile at this one too, as I do with all these, but we have a new body coming. We have a new body coming, and this is hinted in verses 6 and 7 in the text. Uh, Simon Peter followed him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. And so uh, as MacArthur again writes, he says, while Lazarus came forth from the grave wearing his grave clothes, Jesus' body, though it was physical and material, was glorified and was now able to, now able to pass through the grave clothes, much the same later he, when he later entered into the locked room. And so as we read, in verse uh, uh, verse 19, Jesus met him the night of his resurrection. The doors were shut where the disciples were assembled because they were afraid. And Jesus came and stood in the midst. So we, we see from these verses that we are going to be able to participate because of the, because of the resurrection of Christ. One day we are going to have a new body. Jesus is the first fruit. He's the first to have a new resurrected body. The the, res, the resuscitations in the Old Testament and, and Lazarus resuscitation, 
They all had this in common. They died again, right? So they're reg regularly called resuscitation. But Jesus is the first to rise from the dead, never to die again with a new glorified body. Now, what does that mean to us? I guess I've been asked this more than any other question since I've been a teacher, uh, as I've been uh, in ministry. And the question is, what is our new body going to be like? And uh, while we do not know all of the specifics, and it's dangerous to speculate, we have some great hints from Scripture. And if you'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it is the proof text on the resurrection. Because Jesus has risen from the dead, we too have a hope that we will be raised from the dead. And we see that there are certain truths uh, you can start in verse 42, and we can read on. This new body that we're going to have, it's coming because of the resurrection of Christ. First of all, we see in verse 42, our bodies sown in corruption will be raised in incorruption. Amen to that. We'll no longer have sin natures. We will no longer experience the effects of the fall. We will no longer be limited. We will no longer be tempted. We will no longer suffer the effects of sin and all its heartbreak. There will be no more weeping in our bodies, which are flesh, which are inundated with sin, burdened with sin, uh, suffering the consequences of sin. These corrupted bodies, we're going to put on incorruption. We'll have no more sin nature. And we praise the Lord that the struggle will be ever over and we'll be resting in Christ. So we, verse 42, we're sown in corruption, we're raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. We have a glorified body. The final uh, work of Christ is accomplished in us. We go from sanctification to glorification, right? And so we are complete in Christ. Our minds are renewed. Our minds are enabled. You know, it tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, we see through a glass darkly now, but then face to face. Now we know in part, but then we're going to know as we're known. I don't want to speculate what all that means, but it means we're going to have a capacity to understand God more completely than we do now. When he is showing us his creation, however he's going to do it, when we are with him in glory, we're going to have an, un we're going to have an unlimited capacity to get it. Now we are limited. I think science tells us we use 2 or 3% of our brains. I think I'll probably use less than that. But can you imagine when our full capacities that we were created uh, for and to, we're having unlimited ability to comprehend Christ. And scripture even tells us that in all eternity, we're all going to be coming to understand Christ. So if we have an unlimited capacity and we have eternity to do it, and every day we're going to be learning about the grace that's in Christ, all I have to say is, wow. For those of you who have mistakenly, mistakenly been taught that heaven's going to be uh, on a uh, plate of violin or, or a cello or on a pillar and, and doing nothing, Oh, brothers, we're going to, it's going to be beyond our ability now to comprehend and, and we're going to be forever with him and uh, we're going to have new bodies. And we're we're going to have a spiritual body. 
I think our limitations are going to be removed as far as uh, from our matter. We're going to be able to, like Jesus was able to pass through matter. I don't know how we're going to be able to move about. I don't want to speculate. But we will have a new body coming. Uh, we will have an immortal body. Uh, we will have a life that lives forever. The second ministry, the second uh, uh, Westminster Confession say we're going to have a body fit for heaven. And we're ever going to be with him. No more dying, no more sorry, sorrowing, no more suffering. And uh, so we're going to forever be with the Lord. So I hope that encourages you uh, that we are going to have a uh, new body coming. Any comments about that? Some of you have got to be wondering about that. Any, anything you want to share with everybody looking about this new body coming? Uh, no more weeping, no more cancers. Uh, no more struggle with finances. No more uh, struggle with temptation. Any any hallelujahs? Anything to rejoice about that? As we look to the new body coming, please don't be shy. Certainly, there's something you've got to say about this. Anybody have any comment about that? We're going to have a new body, and it's coming. Uh uh, so uh, we'll leave it at that. We'll just we'll just uh, we'll just ensure that this is. Let me just finish uh, this thought with uh, reading uh, the last part of First Corinthians 15, uh, verse 52. Behold, I tell you a mystery: we shall not all sleep, but we'll all be changed in a moment, in twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. The trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. This corruption will put on incorruption. This mortal will put on immortality. And this corruptible was put on incorruption. This mortal was put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death, where is your... Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, because of the resurrection of Christ, we have a new body coming. We have a new relationship to Christ. We have a new day to worship. We have a new ability to understand the scripture. We have a new approach to Christ. Sixth, I love this. I know I say that a lot, but I do. Look at verse 19. Jesus says this three times. If he says it once, it's important. If he says it three times, we need to pay good attention to it. Jesus stood in the midst, verse 19, he says, peace be with you. Then in verse 21, he says, peace be to you. And then as he talks to Thomas, as he appears eight days later, in verse 26, he says, peace be to you. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have a new peace. And that peace is made possible through the blood of Jesus Christ. Proof text of that is as Terry has preached on numerous times, as, as uh, many places, but particularly I, I see it in uh, Romans 5.1. Because of the resurrection of Christ and the finished work, chapter 5 of Romans, verse 1, therefore we've been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have been reconciled to God through the work of Jesus Christ, our sins have been forgiven. The wrath has been appeased. 
condemnation has been taken out of the way. And I love this definition of peace. It's when we stand before God and we have nothing to fear. We have no sin to obstruct us. We have no, uh, we have no penal judgment to, to have to endure. We have been reconciled to God perfectly, finally, and forever. And uh, that's why Jesus says, peace I leave to you. He had earlier said, peace I leave to you, not as the world gives peace, but my peace I give unto you. And so we see that we have a new truth, and that is that we have a peace. We're reconciled to God. We're no longer strangers, no longer aliens. We're no longer without Christ in this world. Uh, I can't say it better than the scriptures, so I'm going to let the scriptures uh, enlighten us on this topic. Ephesians chapter 2, we see this uh, about peace. If you'll turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, uh, looking at verse 11 in committee, as Jesus said, peace I leave to you. Listen to this beautiful text of Paul to the church at Ephesus. Uh, chapter 2, Ephesians, verse 11. Remember you were once Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. And at that time you were, were, were without Christ. You're aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You were stranger from the covenants of promise. You didn't have any hope. You were without God in this world. But now in Christ, you who were once far off, have brought, been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one. He's broken down the middle wall of separation. He's abolished in his flesh the enemy, law of commandments contained in the ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, that he might reconcile both Jew and Greek to God in one body through the Christ, putting to death the enemy. And he came and preached peace to you who were once off and to those who were near. For through, them, through him we have access by one spirit to the Father. So we see Jesus said, peace I leave to you. We now are reconciled to the Father. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, but we are all one in Christ who apprehend him by faith. And so we have a new peace because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Anybody have any comments about that one? Peace. No war with God. No more enemies with God. Reconciled to him. Brothers with Christ. Adopted children to the Father. We have peace. No comments about that. I'll look at the last one. Uh, the seventh new uh, truth because of the resurrection of Christ as we close in today. We have a new mission, and we have a new power to accomplish it. We have a new mission, and we have a new power to accomplish it. We see this in verse 21 through 23. 21 through 23, a new mission and a new power to accomplish it. Jesus said to them, peace to you as the Father has sent me, I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. And said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So we have a new mission and a new power to accomplish it. 
Uh, Jesus said that all power and authority had been given to him in, in Matthew t- chapter 28. And because all authority and all power, that word power is, I love the word, it's dunamis, where we get the word dynamite. It's the ability, the authority, and the capability. So Jesus has the authority and the capability, and he gives it to us as servants. We are his ministers of reconciliation. We are his ambassadors. And so he's given us an authority and we go out and we share the gospel and we evangelize and we make disciples of all nations. So he says, as the Father has sent me, I send you. So because of the resurrection of Christ, we have a new mission. And that new mission is to go into the world and share the hope of the gospel with every man, woman that we see and to share the hope that we have because of the work of Christ. So we have a new mission And uh, this is not just to the disciples, it's to all of us who claim Christ. We all have this uh, privilege, we have this sacred task, and we are to be obedient to it, to share the truth to those whom we come in contact with. So we have a new new mission, and we are to go into the world uh, and uh, make disciples of all nations. There are a couple of things I want to say. Uh, first of all is, is, is verse 22 when it says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now there is a great difference of opinion on this verse and what it means and what it doesn't mean. Uh, does it mean that Jesus actually breathed the Holy Spirit on the disciples uh, the night of his resurrection and sent them forth? Or does it mean that, uh, does it mean that? Did, did the Holy Spirit, was the Holy Spirit, uh, breathed on, uh, the disciples by Jesus Christ at that time? Or is it a foreshadow of what will occur 50 days from that day? Jesus told them to go into Jerusalem and wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so they went. They met in a room, and then 50 days later, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came with the sound of the wind and filled the place and filled them. They began speaking in tongues, and the Spirit came, and the church began. So the question is, did Jesus actually breathe the Spirit on them at that time, or is this more of a foreshadow of what's to come? Now, I've read many commentators on this. And there are there seems to be a difference of opinion on this. MacArthur, uh, of course, he says that this is a pledge and this is a promise for the coming of the Holy Spirit and is a foreshadow of what will come. Now, some of the early uh, uh, reformers, uh, specifically Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown, who Spurgeon was a great fan of, and he said, if you don't have any other commentator along with uh, along with uh, of, uh, Matthew Poole. He said, if you have two commentators, trust them. They both are of the opinion that this is actually Jesus breathing the Holy Spirit on them uh, at this time, and it is not just a foreshadow of what would come 50 days later. I do not pretend uh, to know the answer to this question. Uh, I have an opinion. My opinion is the consensus is that it's a foreshadow and that it is uh, what will happen at Pentecost 50 days later. 
but I'm not dogmatic on that. I would not, uh, I wouldn't be burned at the stake over that uh, on this. Uh, Terry, you smiling? You may have a you may have an opinion strongly either way. I don't, and I don't want to dogmatically teach either way. I think the general consensus among modern scholars is that it's a foreshadow, and maybe some of the older reformers, it's uh, actually the coming of the Spirit. Do you have a thought on that, Terry? Yeah, I would probably see it similarly. I think Jesus is also commissioning them to a particular task over the 50 days. And so there's an, a sense in which there's a limited giving of the Spirit so that they can accomplish that task over the next 50 days, uh, but that the full giving of the Spirit is coming um, 50 days later. Okay, good. I'm glad we agreed on that. I wouldn't want to be embarrassed in front of all my Sunday <laughs> school guys. Yeah. Anybody yeah. else have any comments on that? Uh, we, we generally agree then, uh, at least Terry and I do, is that it is, uh, uh, it is foreshadowing. It will occur in 50 days, and it, it very well temporarily could have been given for their work uh, and specific tasks they had for those 50 days because it was a task. And so any other comments about that, about uh, what he means? He breathed the Spirit on them and received the Spirit. Uh, either way you look at it, uh, we have to be – we have to be authorized and we have to be empowered to accomplish God's work. If we try to do it on our own, it will return into us void and it will not accomplish what we're called to do. And we will be frustrated and we will not meet with many results if the spirit is not with us. So uh, however you look at that. And the last thing I want to look at is this phrase, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Very clearly, no one can forgive sins but God alone, okay? Nowhere in Scripture uh, is it any, even intimated. Even the lost Pharisees knew that only God can forgive sins. So when Jesus forgave the man his sins, they considered that blasphemy because Jesus would have to be claiming to be God if he could have the audacity to forgive a man his sins. So even Pharisees who were lost understood this from Scripture. So when Jesus says, uh, you forgive, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them, he is not saying that the apostles, however filled with the Holy Spirit, have the ability to forgive a man his sins. Only God can do that, and he does that through the means he's ordained. That's through his son's work on the cross. What this does mean simply, I believe, is that in this task he sent them to do, this mission he's given them as the Spirit leads them, this is the gospel. And so what, what Jesus is saying, the central core of the gospel and the main focus of the gospel is the forgiveness of sin. So when you preach the gospel, when you preach that I came, I lived a perfect sinless life, and that I, as a representative to man, a mediator to man, a substitute for man, as I died for men, uh, uh, and I absorb their wrath to reconcile them to the Father. That's the gospel. And the gospel uh, primarily reconciles us to him, and sins have to be forgiven. The wrath has to be appeased. Justice has to be satisfied. And the Father, with his gavel on the throne, says, righteous. We're clothed with the righteousness of people. So that's what I think this means. It's not that we have any part in forgiving the sins of many, also, it means, remember what it says in Matthew, if you don't forgive the sins, 
you don't forgive men their trespasses, neither will the Father forgive you your trespasses. If you don't understand forgiveness, if you don't understand the primary uh, work of Christ in your life that you've forgiven much, you are misunderstanding the gospel. So if you don't under if you don't forgive men, you don't understand how much you forgive men forget. And so you primarily don't understand salvation. You don't understand my work on the cross and what I came to do. So I think uh, Jesus in this mission, this final new truth we learn, is telling the disciples, here's your mission. The Holy Spirit has to equip you to do your mission. And the primary purpose of the mission is to share the gospel, the good news, that we can, that sins can be forgiven. We can be reconciled to God. And there is new hope and there are new truths because of the resurrection of Christ. So we understand that. And I think these are what I see. Uh, later on as we end this, I could have, uh, I could have, uh, I could have made it eight. Why don't we go ahead and make it eight? And there's a new declaration. When Thomas sees, uh, Jesus Christ, when he puts his finger in the, in the, uh, in the hand, in the, in the nail prints and he puts his finger in the, he says this most emphatic declaration, my Lord and my God. So we see one of the most emphatic declarations in Scripture that uh, Thomas says, you're not only Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, the Creator God, the Sovereign, you are my Lord and my Master. Because of the work of, the Christ, of Christ, you are my Lord and my Master. I confess with my mouth that you're Lord, and I believe in my heart that you've been raised from the dead. And so we see this dramatic declaration, uh, new truth, and we'll make it eight. How about that? We'll make it around eight. New declaration of Thomas, and we learn this principle that, that we apprehend this by faith, that we do not have to see to believe, but we believe because of the word of God and because of the resurrection of Christ, we have a new hope. Any comments or questions? I'm going to, uh, it's about 10, 15. I'm going to. Uh, hope you participate in the Zoom rooms if you'd like uh, to uh, communicate with one another, to share hope with each other, encourage one another. And, uh, and then Terry will uh, come on live stream at 11 o'clock. Anybody have any comments or questions? I'd love to hear uh, anything. Uh, anybody have anything to say before we let you go? And you guys can go into your rooms. Anybody have anything to say? You know, the, the the word peace, when I read this, about Jesus being able to say peace to you, I uh, I probably told you, I, I guess, this probably before, but my dad had cancer, and as he was being wheeled in for surgery, he just said, I'm going home or I'm going home. And uh, when he came out, he uh, he was on morphine, and you know it was it was pretty tough, and he had been in a lot of pain, and he just looked at me and smiled, and all of a sudden his countenance changed from all this pain, and he just said, looked at me and smiled, and the bells went off that he died right there. And I just knew that he'd gone into the presence of God. And that was, that was the first visualized peace I've ever really witnessed. Excellent. Your dad taught you how to die as he died, right? He did. 
Absolutely. That's our hope that we would die in that peace. Excellent. Good comment. Because of Christ, resurrection, we can have that peace. Anybody else have anything to add? Thank you for that, Dan. Anybody else? Anybody else? We have new hope. We're not to fear. We're not to be anxious, not to be worried. But we're to have this peace. That we're right with him. Anybody else? Anybody else? Let me pray, and then we'll uh, release you to your chat rooms, wherever you want to go, and then uh, we'll see you again uh, at live streaming. And uh, if you have any, if you have any prayers, just uh, uh, etch them on your chat screen there, and uh, we'll pick them up, and uh, or put them on breeze, and we'll pick them up, and we'll pray for you guys too. Uh, as we always do, as we do every day. Let's pray, and we'll we'll end this. Thank you, Father, for the hope of the resurrection. Thank you for these new truths because of the resurrection of Christ. Thank you for the peace. Thank you for the mission. Thank you for the ability to apprehend. Thank you for the new day of worship. Thank you for the new approach to you that it's physical, not physical, but it's spiritual. We thank you for the hope of the new body. We thank you for our brothers and sisters of Christ. We're unified uh, because of the work of Christ. Thank you for the salvation of our souls. We thank you that the gospel is incomplete without the resurrection. But we're thankful that he did rise from the dead. And he is ascended on the, in the heavenlies. He's seated on the right hand. And one glorious day, we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. He's going to come again. We're going to meet him in the air. And we're going to be with, be with him forever. And, Lord, that hope purifies us. And that hope keeps us faithful. Help us to finish this work you've given us to do. Help us to run with the endurance. Help us not to grow weary in well-doing. Help us to desire to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servants. Enter into the joy of my rest. And help us to be faithful in all you called us to do. We pray in the resurrected name of Jesus. Amen.